Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Well, good morning to you. It's great to see you today and so happy that you're here. And uh, it's a joy to be able to speak to you today. I'm excited to be able to do that. I've got a topic that's uh, very near and dear to me, and I am excited to be able to share that with you. You might want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. So we're in this series called I'm Not Fine, <clears throat> which really describes all of us. We all, have, we all have issues going on. There's not a day goes by that we don't have issues go, going on. And it kind of reminds me of my friend Ken Davis, a comedian who had a, a bit that was... I'm not okay, you're not okay, but that's okay. Because that's really the reality that we have to live in. And so the series is about finding hope in the midst of uncertainty. If there ever was a season of uncertainty, this is it. And how do we find hope in the midst of uncertainty? Maybe you're some, somewhat like me, like I can remember years ago even, being in a small group with other men we were meeting every week, and it's been a really important part of my spiritual journey. And we we're meeting, and I just had had a season for, I don't know, a few weeks where I couldn't sleep. I'm worried about paying the bills, and I'm worried about uh, work, and is this going to be the career I need? And I'm worried about my kids, and they have friends picking on them, or they're not doing well in school. And all of the pressures that a dad feels, I'm feeling. And I wake up in the middle of the night, and I can't sleep. And I need to sleep because i got to work. Because if I don't work, we don't eat. And all, any of you feel that way, right? And that day I got to the men's group and I was, I just said, I'm just going to tell them what I'm feeling. And these are all men I respect and they're walking with Jesus and they have good businesses and, and I feel somewhat like a poser in front of them. And I said, guys, I just got to tell you. I'm having the toughest time sleeping. I'm worrying about stuff, and I wake up in the middle of the night, and I can't go back to sleep. And, and one of the guys goes, me too. Another one, me too. Until everybody in the room was, yes, it's the same thing for me. And, and it's like we were all walking through this darkness of worry, and all of us holding it into ourselves like, we got it all together. I'm fine. But we're not. And I know today... In this room or from the comfort of your own environment, there are people that worry is gripping you and keeping you from experiencing everything that God wants for you. And Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, his teaching, he gives us some reasons why we shouldn't worry. And it's really some secrets on how to overcome it. And I want us to read this passage, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. You follow along as I read it out loud. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. By the way, that word could be translated worry. Either way, okay? Do not be anxious about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon 
in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In this passage, Jesus gives us some some reasons that we shouldn't worry. So let me describe some terms. So we're talking about the same thing. So fear is what, is what we feel when there's an immediate threat. Uh, worry is about a, an, in, a something that's in the future, a threat or something, a perceived threat. It's a response to something that's in the future. So fear is about something now, and worry is about a real or perceived future threat. And then within worry, and this word anxiety is a word today that has multiple meanings, and I'm actually going to address both ideas. The idea of anxiety is worry, which is, in Jesus' teaching here, it's a, it's a, sin, it's a sinful act and not trusting the providential care of God. So it's when we try to take matters into our own hands or own things ourselves or what I was feeling those nights. Uh, then there's also this idea of anxiety. And some of you may have experienced or know, have loved ones that have experienced uh, anxiety and panic attacks, anxiety disorder. And we're going to talk about that at the end of our time together. Um, but that is a physiological condition that is not necessarily sinful. In most cases, it's not a sinful thing. It's just something physiological that's happening to you, and you're, it's not that you can help it. And so we want to talk about both of those. The Scripture applies to both of them, and there are ways that we can look at that, but I want to make sure that you know we're going to start by talking about what we would commonly call worry. Well, I was feeling and describing to that, those group of men, and it's this idea that I'm feeling the pressure to fix or do or be prepared for the things that I'm supposed to do. And how am I supposed to respond? How do I not worry? How do I not be anxious? So let's start with verse 25, and let's unpack a little bit what it says. And here's, here's what uh, Jesus said. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What is Jesus saying in this? You know what he's saying? The way I would say it, he's saying, don't sweat the small stuff. They're bigger fish to fry. And he's saying, why are you sweating what you're going to wear, the clothes you're going to put on, what you're going to drink, what you're going to eat, when you might want to, if you're going to be concerned about something, be concerned about your life, be concerned about your body. He's going to get later where we're not even worrying about those. But he begins in this, prog in this progression by saying, for sure, don't sweat the small stuff. And if you think about it, the small stuff is what we spend most of our time sweating and worrying about. And he says, don't do it. Generations have different influences that, that help us or cause us to, to emphasize certain things that we want to be. Back 
Back my, my age or even my parents' age, the phrase was keeping up with the Joneses, right? You had to keep up with what the neighbors had, the car or house or lawn or everything else that the neighbors had. And as generations change, it, it moves from keeping up with the Joneses to where TV was the, what was having the influence. You got you to gotta wear what the people on Friends are wearing or have to pursue the career of LA, LA Law or Grey's Anatomy. And they can actually chart in the United States different careers uh, their influx of people in these careers as these shows get popular because people want to keep up with the Joneses. They want to keep up with what they see on TV. And then today, for goodness sake, and the proliferation of influence through social media, it's all over the board. And it comes at us in way faster ways than what it used to. So all the way back 2,000 years ago, think about this now. People were worried about what they're going to wear. Like, what's my robe look like? I don't particularly think they were fashionable, to be honest with you. Right? Like, that looks nice. No, none of us would say that. But they were concerned about the robe they wore, the clothing they had. They were concerned about what they were going to eat. Is it going to be the right kind of people? And we're the same way in so many ways. We concern ourselves with things that we shouldn't be concerned with. They're stuff that we shouldn't sweat. They're bigger fish to fry. They're things that are more important. Well, there's another, another reason is found in uh, verse 27. Let's go there. And it says this, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? So this phrase, a single hour, actually in some of your translation, it may talk about adding a cubit to their height. And it's actually both are correct because the word for uh, adding uh, time to your life and adding height to your stature is the same word. Think about it, as a kid, as they age a year, they grow inches, right? And that was the way, it, so it's the same term. So Jesus is probably using a play on words as he does it because the reality is you can't add either one with worry. You know why? Because worry is worthless. It doesn't do anything to help us. This is very logical and practical, what Jesus is saying. Like, if worry could actually help us, then worry away. But it doesn't help us. It actually debilitates us. Oftentimes, it's worry that keeps us from being able to devote our energies to the things that we need to devote our energy to. Uh, our worry and anxiety will not fix or address the issue that's creating or causing it. Um, it doesn't work that way. We need to use our energy to apply to the issue and not just worry about it. Something that over years that I've developed that has worked for me, just a simple little tool for me. If I can't sleep at night or if I'm at my office and I'm worrying about things, here's what I do. I read, listen, or list. That helps me begin to move my anxiety, which is usually actionless, into momentum towards solving the problem. I'm reading things that could help me. I listen to things that could help me. Or I start making lists of how I get from where I am to where I need to be. And those are easy, practical things that help me turn my attention away from worry, away from the issue that I'm dealing with, because worrying is worthless. These things are beneficial. They can help us uh, in moving to, to move away from the issue that is um, bothering us or causing us to worry. Back in the day, I used to have, going to sleep, I would put a, always had a piece of paper and, and something to write with, a pen or pencil, on the nightstand next to my bed. Because if I woke up in the middle of the night, I could write it down. Now I just have my phone 
and I can just start listening or making lists about the things that I need to deal with. It helps me take them out of my brain and put them on a piece of paper. Maybe that doesn't work for you. It helps me. Thought I'd pass it along. You can try it and see if it helps. Bottom line, though, is worry is worthless. It doesn't do anything to help us. Jesus is saying there's bigger fish to fry, and it's, it's worthless to spend here. But he goes on in verses 26 and 28 through 30 to say this. Look at the birds of the air, he says. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And let's go to the next verse and what he says. And consider the lilies of the field. And so what do we need to do? We need to consider the birds and the flowers. And so what about the birds and the flowers? I mean, they can't do anything for themselves. And God somehow is supplying for them. They, they, they don't have the ability. They operate completely. Plants, you know, they just grow. Birds operate completely out of instinct. They don't have a reasoning mind. And they can't worry about anything. And God supplies all their needs. He says, consider the birds and the flowers and the way God takes care of them. If he can take care of them that way, he can take care of you. And I've seen this myself in, in mission setting, mission trip settings, excuse me, where I've gone to places that are very poor. And you think, man, does, is it possible that this verse even applies here? And it does. I've seen the way that God in his gracious nature has met the needs of people. In, in the most unbelievable of situations. And sometimes we have to be careful not to measure God's provision by some Western American kind of standard. Like just because they don't have everything I have doesn't mean God is not meeting their needs. And he is. By their standards, he's meeting their needs. And so we, we have to consider the way God cares for the birds and the flowers. Jesus said it. He cares for us more than birds and flowers. He wants to meet our needs. He wants to care for us. And then Jesus gets to this last part, which is really the key to unlocking everything that Jesus has talked about so far. And it's the key verse and the key idea in this passage. And it's verse uh, 33. And here's what it says. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So what is this term first? Seek first. Well, it actually has dual meaning. Um, One is in sequence, like do it before you do anything else. Seek God before you seek anything else. Before you seek that promotion, before you seek that career, before you seek that relationship, before you seek that money, before you seek that power, before you seek anything else, seek God. It's, it's first. But there's also uh, an, uh, an aspect that it's also most. Like he's in first place, not only first to come. So there's a, the way I say it is there's this priority and there's this passion. There's nothing that is a higher priority in my life and there's nothing that I'm more passionate about in my life than God and seeking him. And so, and that's what that means. So so if we seek God and his righteousness, then this promise, this beautiful promise, and all these things will be added to you. What are the things that he's talking about? He doesn't say, I wish sometimes he would say, and these, this is what's going to be added. Well, logically, all of the things that he's referring to is the things he was just talking about. But I think it's more than that. 
Sometimes I wish I got to pick the things. Hey, God, why don't you add these things to the list? Put this on the list. I'll seek you. You put this on the list of the things you're going to add to me. But it doesn't work that way because that's part of what it means to seek God. When I'm seeking God and, and his righteousness, he is my priority and he is my passion, then everything I do, every step I take, every conversation I have, every action I have, every decision I make, the jobs I take, the relationships I'll, I build, everything is filtered with how do I do this in a way that's pleasing to God. What does God want me to do here? I, I see my life as I'm on mission for him. And my purpose is in, in distributing the goodness of God. And when we do this, when we live that way, what, what Jesus is saying here is that we're getting an opportunity to participate in the kingdom of God. And here's, here's what I want to show something else that he did in this same verse. This idea, seek first the kingdom of God. This phrase, Matthew uses uh, over 30 times the phrase kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God in the book of Matthew. This was a common phrase for Matthew and a common phrase for Jesus. They're not exactly the same, but most commentators would say they use them interchangeably. But there is a little difference that sometimes when he's saying kingdom of God, the verbs around it or the language around it is in a present tense form. Like the kingdom of God is happening here and now. And almost always with the kingdom of heaven, there's a future tense to what he's saying. Like the kingdom of heaven that we're all going to be in. And we're, we live today in light of what is coming. And both of these have application and both can apply. But I think it's important to know, I think what Jesus is saying here. When you seek first the kingdom of God, we become a, a the part of the kingdom of God today. And guess what? When we do that, this idea of eternity becomes real today. That's what we get to do. What, what is eternity is real today. It's, it's where we are. We have the gift of eternity and it starts today because we're living in a place where we can distribute the kingdom of God. We distribute the goodness of God. And that's what we get to do. What, the way I like to say it is this idea that one day becomes two day and not yet becomes already. That's the way when we get to destroy, when we seek God first, there's something really powerful that begins to happen. Because where we live, work, and play, the kingdom of God begins to show itself. We are part of that, letting God's kingdom show itself so we, we don't seek clothes and we don't seek food and drink. We instead, we have a, a passion and a priority for the kingdom of God more than anything else. And when we do that, something happens. God then meets our need in a supernatural way. It's inexplicable, but it works. It's a promise when we seek that way. I was talking recently with Israel Martin. He pastors our Spanish congregation does an amazing job. I've been to Cuba. It's a very poor country, and Israel immigrated to the United States about seven years ago. And it's just incredible the scarcity that there is in Cuba. And as I was considering, I'm thinking to myself, I mean, does this scripture apply in Cuba? Is it possible that God can actually meet the needs of the Cubans in Cuba, uh, the Christian Cubans? Because there's such scarcity, and they're so poor 
like maybe there's a loophole or something that Israel teaches, or maybe they shy away from this verse because it would be, I can understand here, God, that we have so much here that it's easy for God to meet all of our needs. And Israel said, actually, Danny, it's the opposite. The Christians in Cuba, this is their, one of their favorite passages because they're so dependent upon it. It's an essential feature of the kingdom ethic there because it has this beautiful and hopeful promise. And then let me read to you what he wrote. Because of this promise, the phrase, God will provide, is a constant in the mouth of Cuban believers who live the daily miracle of receiving God's faithful provision. Did you hear that? The daily miracle of receiving God's faithful provision, even when at the beginning of the day, they woke up without even having in their hands the bread for that day. So they don't have, when they wake up, they don't have food to supply them that day. And still they say, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto me. God will provide. Can you imagine us being that kind of people where our priority is so much? Our priority is so much on seeking God. Our passion is so much on seeking God. That we say, all of that, I'm not worried about all those other things. God will provide. It's a beautiful way for us to live without worry. And at the same time, I know there are some people, you've been listening to me today, and you're saying, Danny, I hear what you're saying, but it's not worry I'm dealing with, it's anxiety I'm dealing with. There's something beyond that. I'm, I can't even get to where you're talking about. I can't even think about what you're talking about. And it's not because I'm it's not because of bills and stuff. It's because I can't control something that comes over me and I don't know how to get out of this darkness. I don't know. Any of you guys ever been to what they call the escape room? You familiar with the escape room? Yeah, it's like terrible, the escape room. People actually pay money to get locked into a room with no way out. And, and it's a game, apparently. I, I'll never go, Okay. Uh, that doesn't sound like fun to me, but apparently for some people it is. And some years ago, about 25 years ago now, my wife found herself in an escape room of sorts, in a dark, dark place with seemingly no way out. At 31 years old, healthy life, healthy upbringing, she found herself in her own escape room. It started with one or two paralyzing episodes of panic that caught her completely by surprise, caught me by surprise. And after six months of incredible confusion and fear and multiple visits with doctors and a counselor or two and a pastor or two, Betsy was diagnosed with a psychiatric, by, excuse me, by a psychiatrist uh, with a panic and anxiety disorder. 
And you might think, man, that's terrible news to hear that from a psychiatrist. Can I tell you that was one of the best days in our married life? Because for the first time in months, we felt like we had hope that something could be fixed, that she could be fixed because it was completely debilitating to our life. She could barely leave the house. And I'm thrilled to report that after 25 years, 27 years, because of capable medical treatment and discipline follow through on Betsy's part, today Betsy's a thriving woman who is a wonderful wife and mom and grandmother and follower of Jesus. She's doing excellent. But we still vividly remember the darkness of those days. And it was horrible. I said to her, babe, I don't know what it's going to take to fix you, but we'll do whatever it takes. I don't care. We're going to do whatever it takes to fix you. And as they were searching, you know, early on for the cause or the trigger for this and checking out everything, I know what you're thinking. It was the same thing I was thinking. Was it me? You know, the jury's still out. We don't know. Maybe it is. Um, and for the last 25 years, because Betsy was open and transparent about the pain that she's walked through and what she's experienced. And you got to remember when I heard the psychiatrist say you're suffering from a panic and anxiety disorder, I'd never heard that before. No, I'd never met anybody that had that before. Today, it's everywhere, but I, we had not heard that anywhere. And she has helped hundreds of people who have walked similar paths. And I know today in this room or watching via TV or the stream, there are people who are suffering through this uh, anxiety and panic disorder even now. One of the things we've learned that if you've met one person with anxiety disorder, you've met one person with anxiety disorder. Right? There's no two exactly the same. There are no, no similar paths to this and, and very different paths away from this. But there is something that's similar. And it became a theme for me during our journey together 25 years ago. And it was, it's Romans 12, 15 that says this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And today I know... In this room, there are some who find yourself in an escape room that you can't get out of. And it's scary. And it's true, you want to apply the things that we talked about and the promises of God still apply to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Betsy was seeking the kingdom of God with everything she had and she was still experiencing these panic attacks. But it's like there's a, there's a bridge that needs to be built from where you are to be able to access this or be able to experience a regular worry uh, to be able to say, I want victory over that. And we want to help you. Your church wants to help you. And I don't know what that means or how to do it, but the first thing I know is that we're gonna rejoice with those who rejoice and we're gonna mourn or weep with those who weep. And we hurt with you and we want to help you. So over the past months, Betsy and I were talking and all the people she dealt with said, babe, what? What do you think, if we had the opportunity for people to actually say what they wanted to be able to say to their family and friends, if you have a loved one who's walking this path, what they may wish you knew or may wish they could say to you, what they have voiced to Betsy or me and said, I wish my family knew this, 
These are some of the top things that they have said. I'm not making this up. I feel real acute fear and panic, and it's affecting me physically. Do not tell me this is in your head. Snap out of it, or I just need more faith. Go with me to doctor's appointments. I really feel like I'm a burden to everyone. Please encourage me and let me know I'm still an integral part of the family. Pray for me. Remind me I'm strong. Check on me. And let me cry. And today, if you're feeling trapped and you're the one suffering, we want to be a friend to you. We want to care for you and help you. We want you to know it's, it's okay. You're going to get through this. And what I think Jesus would say to you, if he had the opportunity to whisper words to you, this is what they would be. You're not alone. I'm always with you. This isn't sin. You live in a broken world and you have a broken body. Hey, I'm going to guide you. But you need to do the research and listen to your body and be your own advocate. There's no shame with your illness. No shame. Don't be afraid of good doctors who listen. And don't be afraid of medicine. Sometimes I can use these to help you. Jesus would say, I accept you as you are. And if you let me, one day I may use your journey to help someone else and give them hope. And Jesus would say, I feel your pain. I know what it means to be anxious. I sweat blood one day. Today, Jesus wants to minister to you and care for you, for the families that are walking this path and for the individuals that are walking this path. Jesus wants to draw near and to help. And we want to help you get to, to a healthy place where you can experience the promise of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this still applies in your life. Seek him first. Navigate the other. And we want to pray for you and we want to help you. Today, if, if you want help, Betsy and I want to try to help you navigate this. We don't have answers, but we want to come alongside and help you. And your church wants to do that. And today, you can just text the word CARE, the word CARE to 40777. If you're streaming or watching or if you're in the room, text the word CARE. And somebody will reach out to you, try to offer help and hope to you. Mostly what I want to do today is I want to pray for you. And today, if you're not experiencing this and you don't have anybody in your family experiencing this, God bless you. It's good for you. Maybe you can join me in praying for the families that do and for the individuals that are hurting. And for the rest, I would never ask you to stand up or identify yourself. You don't need to do that. But just know we want to pray for you. God knows who you are. And God can minister to you in these minutes. Let's pray together.
God, I know you're doing a work in the hearts of some today who needed, who needed to know you still cared for them and you've not abandoned them. Draw near to them in this space, in these moments. Somehow let them experience your love and grace, your strength. May they sense your pleasure in who they are and who they're becoming. And I pray, God, help us as a church to be a resource for them, these families and these individuals, to be able to escape this dark place so that they can experience everything that you have for them. And for the rest of us, God, we want to seek you first and help us to be agents of change that are distributing your goodness everywhere we go. Help us to be that kind of people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.